I want you to understand something this morning that the, this story in the Bible that we are getting ready to look at is the most important, if you will, story other than the resurrection. She's got a lot. This story is the only one besides the resurrection that is told in all four Gospels. And so the Holy Spirit had a reason, obviously, for making each one of these authors write this. And there was a reason, not a reason, there was a, there was a, a, a lesson for the church. And for me, whenever I've read this, I've just seen it as, oh, God does great miracles. I mean, that's pretty much it. It's, it's a, in the book of John, we talked about this over a year ago. In the book of John, this is one of the signs that Jesus was the Messiah. And it said in those last verses of John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, it says that the people seeing this miraculous sign that Jesus did recognized that he must be the prophet that was to come into the world. And so they came to take him by force, and he had to depart and go to a, a private place because they were going to try and make him their king, their, their leader. But if you take the time to look at this and take it apart a little bit, it's more than just a story of a sign that Jesus did. And I want to look at it again with the understanding that we're, we're talking about ordinary people living ordinary lives, coming in contact with their extraordinary God. And there are four major characters in this story. There's Jesus, obviously. There's Philip, Andrew, and there's this little boy. I mean, we don't even have his name. We've just got this little boy. And what attitudes do you see in this story? Well, first of all, Jesus I see displaying confidence. Because it said, he asked them this question. Where will we get all, enough food to feed all of these people? And it says, just a couple of verses later, it said, he asked them this, even though he already knew. Because he was doing it to test them. So Jesus is sitting there from a position of pretty, pretty content, pretty confident. He knows what's going on. He's not wringing his hands and going, oh, where are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? He's turning this into a teaching time for his disciples. He's giving them an opportunity to learn from him how to respond to this great need. So Jesus is displaying for us in this story an attitude of confidence. It's not smugness, it's confidence. He knows who he is, he knows what his resources are, he knows what his mission is, and he knows he's going to do it. But he's taking an opportunity to teach while he does. The next one we see is Philip. What were Philip's words? What did he say? What is 200 denarii? Anybody understand what that is? Denarii was a silver coin. Equivalent to a laborer's full day's wage. Okay. One day of work for one worker, 200 of those, is between seven and eight months of labor. So think about what Philip is saying here. He's saying, Lord, if... I were to go into my savings account and get out three quarters of last year's income, it would barely cover 
the costs of buying food for this crowd. And so what I see coming from Philip is incredulity. Just this, and I can't even say that word. I typed it out, but I can't say it. Incredulity, this idea that it's, it's not comprehensible to me how we could even possibly meet the need. I just don't see any, any hope of meeting this need. What, why are you even bringing this up? It's, it's, it's impossible. He's very pragmatic in the way that he looks at this. He sees the need. He sees that there is no way that they could possibly have enough resources to meet it. And so he just kind of dismisses it and says, well, of course there's no way that this is going to happen. But see, Jesus is sitting there knowing it's going to happen. And so there's going to be a little bit of a chuckle going on in Jesus. Not out loud. He doesn't want to embarrass or humiliate anybody. But think about what he's, what he's watching as his, as his disciples are kind of wrestling with this for a few minutes. And he's just like, hmm, okay. Anybody else? Anybody else got any thoughts on this? And then Andrew pipes up and says, what does he say? Well, there's this little, what does he say? It's in verse nine, 8, 9. There is a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Okay, so Andrew doesn't focus on the impossibility. He looks at the resources that are available. And he says, well, we have some food. But look, weigh it out. It's minuscule. I mean, in, in the size and the scope of this need, five loaves of fish and, I mean, five loaves of bread and two fish, there's, it's, it's, I mean, we could try, like, like the kids just said, they could cut it into tiny little pieces and give just a little taste to everybody so that everyone gets an equal share, but it's not going to feed them. But then we see this boy, and what attitude do you see in this child? A giver. I mean, I talked about it just now with the kids. There was an unselfishness that he displayed. He could very easily have hidden his stuff in his little pouch and said, mm -mm, I don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing here. I mean, just think about it. I mean, we don't know how old this boy was. He had to be under the age of 12. Because once he aged the age of 12 or 13 in, in, in that culture, he was considered an adult or he was responsible for his own actions. And so he had to be under the age of 12. But think about what little kids you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids. Mm, I don't think that they normally would readily just go, well, here. But there was something about this kid who he had a heart of, yeah, I'm willing to share. And we don't hear words from him, so we don't know what's in his heart. Do we, we don't know if he believed. We don't know if he was wide-eyed and going... Well, you're Jesus, you can do anything. We don't know any about his faith or his thoughts. But what we do know and can discern from this is that at least he provided the food. So he did an unselfish act. He was willing to share what he had. So we've got Jesus sitting there confident. Philip with incredulousness. I can't say that word. Andrew, who is unbelieving, seeing the, the, the resources but not believing that there's any way that they could possibly meet. And an unselfish kid. And aside from Jesus, do you see any faith at all? This week, 
This was one of the studies that we did in our weekly text study. I meet with pastors every Tuesday from 9 until 10 to talk about the scriptures that are for that week. And this was one of the scripture passages for this week. And as we were talking, and I won't share who the person is, but as we were talking, there was a person in the room who said that he didn't see this as a miracle of multiplication. He saw this miracle, quote-unquote, as very effective community organization and mutual sharing. His words were, Jesus was an incredible community organizer and was able to say, get everyone to sit down. And if you read the other Gospels, not in John, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say, have them sit in groups of 50 and 100. So he's getting them grouped into manageable places, I mean settings. And then he says, what resources do we have? And there's a little kid who comes forward and says, well, I've got this. And what my friend said was, he imagines, in the way that he understands this passage, is that people in each of those groups would say, well, I got a loaf. Well, I, I got a couple of loaves, so I got a fish. And little by little, they began opening their pouches, and lo and behold, there was enough to feed everybody, plus 12 baskets full of leftovers. And I sat there going, mm, I don't like your words. I don't, didn't want to challenge or confront, because in that moment, in that setting... It really wasn't appropriate, and I didn't want to get into it, but quite honestly, I'm like, I really disagree with that. And as I have mulled over that this week, and as I have thought about this miraculous sign proving that Jesus was the Messiah, I don't think that Jesus being an effective community organizer is a sign of his messiahship. And scholars will tell you, as you read the commentary on this passage, this is one of the most significant signs of Jesus as the Messiah that is found anywhere in all of Scripture. So for me to, forgive me for being unkind to his thoughts, but for me to degrade this down to something that's manageable by our finite human minds, it's actually a slap in the face to my Lord. And I don't like those words. Because Jesus is God. And Jesus is able to do anything exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But that's where I'm at in my heart. Is that He is God. Another thing that I wanted to point out. Look at the graphic that's up on the screen. I was so blessed when I was looking for something for us to have as a focal point. This really, to me, speaks to the heart and the mindset of those who were observing the fish and the bread. What do you see there? Fish skeletons. Eh, it's a couple of loaves. I mean, there's five loaves and a couple of fish, but what is that? And there's this, this looking at what's being offered is not worthy. It has no value. Well, for heaven's sakes, it had value or Jesus wouldn't have taken it. 
There was value in that. And Jesus could take what was given, regardless of the value it, it had, quote unquote, and could multiply it. And he did miraculously multiply it. I love this video that we saw. And that's the reason I wanted to share it. I, when I saw that for the very first time, I was, it was late at night, I was going through my master's program, and I had to watch this whole video in one week, and I was trying to read through it, and, I mean, study it, and, and that, that thing came down where the, the basket came down, and it was all full, and tears began welling in my eyes, because I'm like, that's my Jesus! He can do that kind of stuff! That's my God! And I don't want to degrade it to just, well, he's a really good community organizer, and he can get people to cooperate. Because that's not miraculous. Humans can do that. But Jesus is the Son of God. And he can take this little nothing and turn it into amazing, incredible stuff. And you know what's really cool? Jesus is a copycat in this situation. This sign that shows that he's the Messiah, it's not the first time in the Bible that this has ever happened. If you will turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, but 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. This is a look at the prophet Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha. It says, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So Elisha repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. And as I read that, and again, this this passage is also part of the text that we we're reading this week, and as I mulled over that and thought about it, the significance in that passage for me is not Elisha's faith, but it is by the word of the Lord. God has declared and ordained that this is to happen. It doesn't matter if it looks like it's possible. It doesn't matter if the resources don't necessarily match up to what needs to, to what the need is. If God has said, then it will happen. As we shared this week, I told them about the fact that I have this work and witness team coming in two weeks. And I shared with them that the leader of the team is the same one who led the team three years ago that put in our handicap ramp and remodeled our sanctuary and our nursery and our kitchen and the church, the parsonage, and lots of different things happened. And that particular team raised $10,000 for materials, and we as a church raised $2,100 for materials. So we started out with that project with $12,100 for materials 
And by the time we were in our second day, or third day, second day of the, of the project, I was already out of money. And they were still needing more materials. And that third day, the morning of that third day, I got up. And I was having my quiet time with God. And I was reading the scriptures and I was praying. And I was pouring out my heart before God saying, God... What are we going to do? I've got 38 people I've got to keep busy for the next two weeks, and I'm running out of money already, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And God, you've got it. And the Lord literally pointed to Numbers, I think it's 22, I don't have the words in front of me. Numbers 22, where it says, Is my arm too short? If I have declared something to be, am I not able to make that come about? And as I reflected on that that morning, the Lord said, is that still true today, Bob? Yes, sir, it is. Then own it and proclaim it to those people on that team. And so I then, after their breakfast, I came. We all assembled right here in the sanctuary. And I stood right here and I led the devotion that morning. And I shared with them with tears streaming down my face. I said, God has told me that if he has declared it, it is going to happen and I don't know where the money is going to come from, but the Lord has told me to continue to just buy. And so I'm going to continue to buy. You give me the parts list that you need. Because if you remember, the, the ramp, when they started it, they found out that they're going to have, they had to tear out the whole front porch because it was rotted. And th that, that doubled the cost. And there was all of these things happening. And it was just like, what in the world is going on? And when it was all said and done, ten days later, and we did the final accounting... We had raised $12,100 and we had spent $24,000. And the treasurer gave me the final accounting and there was $65 left in the bank. We had gone through all of the money that was needed for the project and there was $65 left over. I could go through the litany of all the different things that happened, but I can tell you one thing that was so cool. There was an 80-something-year-old man driving down the road who stopped and wanted to know what all this activity was. And after being told what all the activity was, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a $100 bill and said, I want to be part of this, and put $100 towards the project. God brought about the resources to meet the need, even though it didn't look physically or humanly possible. And it was the word of the Lord that did it. Is my arm too short? Then stop fussing and start believing and step out in faith and do what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> Glory to God. According no, I don't want to give away this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 20 and 21. Somebody read that for me. Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 20 to 21. Infinitely more than we might ask or 
Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let me restate, re repeat that I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, some translations will say exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine, here it says, or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. And any time I've read these words until this week, isn't it funny how God has things jump out of the pages? Any time in the past when I've read these words, I have always focused on he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. It is by the word of the Lord. Is my arm too short? I am able to meet whatever need is presented before me. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. But I have never focused on that phrase according to the power that is at work within us. And as I was thinking about what I needed to say to you guys this morning, the Lord said, look at this little boy, Bob. He had a role to play in my miracle. His role was to share what he had. As meager as it was, as miserable as it was in the eyes of everyone else, as lacking as it was in the eyes of everyone else. But I had ordained that he was to be used for my glory, for the advancement of my kingdom, for the declaration to the world that I am sending my son as the Messiah. This child, with his measly five loaves of bread and two stinking fish, is used and will be remembered forever. Because of what he was willing to do. I came across this. I love what it does for me. As I look at this image. God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And it's not this idea that God does everything and it's glorious and fabulous and wonderful. But for me, I go back to this. It's the power that it has worked within us. You see, when I got saved, God's Holy Spirit came in and resides with me. And if I will cooperate with Him and allow Him not only to be the Savior of my life, but to be my Lord, through His power that is at work within me, he can do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. And what I see taking place is this change of mindset from blackness. You notice the whole time the screens have been black and dark and fish skeletons. But when I recognize that it is God who is at work within me, calling me out, calling out my giftings, calling out my passions, calling out my skills to use for His glory, the world changes. It is colorful. It is bright. There is joy. There is peace. And as I was going through this morning looking for the image that God would have you to have, I came across this quote. I have no idea 
where this quote came from. I don't know who the author is, but it gripped my soul. It says, don't let the size of your gift keep you from giving it away. We're just little old two rivers in Alaska. 23, 24 people sitting in a room. What do we have to offer the world? How could we ever possibly advance the kingdom of God? The world is literally falling apart, God. Literally. Our culture is crumbling. How in the world can you use us? We can't even afford to pay our heat in a full year. We have to do special fundraising to be able to build a small wooden screen room in our backyard. How in the world can you possibly use us? And let's bring it even closer, folks. How in the world can you use me? I'm a 56-year-old fat man with a broken back. What do I have to offer? And what I hear God saying to me is, you want me to slap you upside the head, boy? Don't you dare call my child unworthy. Don't you dare say anything bad about the gifting I gave you. All that I ask of you is your obedience and your willingness to do what I ask and to give what I ask for you to give and let me be worried about whether or not it's enough. Let me be the one to worry or not whether worry not worry whether or not it will satisfy someone else's need. Each one of you have been gifted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Each one of you have abilities that are unique to who you are, to your oikos, your group of people that God has placed in your life. To be able to speak truth to them. To speak life to them. To minister to them the blessings of God. And if you withhold it, either through selfishness, carelessness, or an attitude of I have nothing of value to give. God's still going to accomplish his purpose. But you will miss out the blessing of being part of that advancement of the kingdom of God. You are his child. And he loves you desperately. And he is proud of you. And he asks of you to give whatever it is that he asks. That you simply give it willingly. I'd like you to listen to this last song as our altar call, if you will. When the song is done, I'll pronounce a benediction and we'll leave. If you need to stay and talk with God for a while, feel free. Otherwise, if the Spirit moves, let's just move on with the rest of our day. But let's listen. In the
Where? 